0: Today's also a launch date on a couple other reasons. One, we're launching a new series, which I'll tell you about in just a second. And we're also launching um, just 40 days of prayer. God put this on my heart. We launch it every year with a 21 days of prayer and fasting. And God just really set it on my heart to, to do 40 days of prayer because here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to take us deeper this summer. That this summer is not just going to be one where we kind of go through the motions and we're on and off again with the craziness of schedules and the bearing down of the heat. But I believe it's going to be one of, of deep spiritual significance that we see just tangible growth in the Lord. And so I want to challenge you. We, we kind of put together these 40 very simple prayers that we just want to unify around for the next 40 days. If you can agree with them in your heart and believe that they're God-fearing prayers to pray. I want you to pray boldly about these things and pray earnestly and honestly. And it's just a simple thought that we're all going to be gathering around and saying, God, would you meet us here? Today's prayer is, God, lead us into righteousness for your glory. Not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness that he's given us through Christ, all for his glory. And so it's a very simple prayer, but we'll just pray that on a daily basis, and you'll find all kinds of different prayers throughout the next 40 days, so lean into that, our ushers will hand you one of these as you leave, as well as probably right now, if we have a connect card from you with your information, you're getting a digital copy copy right now in your email, that will help you connect to anchor groups that are launching today, as well as uh, our 40 days of prayer, where you can see that in digital form, so Yeah, deep breath for me, and uh, I just want to welcome guests. If you're new here, if this is your first time here, you're just here for um, the weekend or or whatever's going on, we're we're just really thankful you're here, and we pray that this feels like home. There's something about um, planting ourselves in the roots of a community. I feel like it's, it's very difficult to bear fruit in the body of Christ when you separate yourself from the body of Christ, so when God plants you. I pray that, that fruit will come from that, and so root yourself in faith and in family here. Uh, and if you are new here, we just want to tell you, wow. welcome home. Welcome home. hope it feels like that. Today we're launching a brand new series called Life As We Know It. Let me just tell you, I'm, I'm a dad of three now, and before we had kids, like I was super reluctant. Like I, I might look like a super receptive father. I was really excited about that. But early on, like when we had gotten married, I just liked my life too much, and I liked my wife too much to really to shake that up. I liked going for half-price appetizers at 10 p.m. I really liked that, and I loved everything about her, and I just had this perception of what was going to change when she went from wife to wife and mother, and I was very anxious about that, and um, mom jeans are like way in now, but back then they weren't, and so I, I was... I was worried that, hey, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just gonna wake up and I'm not gonna recognize my wife anymore. It was, it was just an honest concern, and I was struggling with. And what I found out, as we've we've had our share of youngins, I realized that she is a different person today. And uh, my suspicions were 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 right that that she's been transformed. She's never the same. And and. And God has changed me in profound ways too. In that she probably doesn't even recognize me in some ways from what I was. And we continue to to love each other. And I, I think about that in, in so many different realms, like whether it's just a small thing uh, when we make that step of obedience, or, or or maybe very large. I know when we transitioned and received the call of God to step out and plant this. Church, like life as we know it, as a family would never be the same again. Like it, God had had just breathed into our identity, into our purpose and our calling, this this body in you, and, and placed that on our heart. And life would never be the same again. And that's kind of the journey for a believer: is life as we know it is never the same again. I I have one author that I, I read one of his books, and he said um, he said he, he was. Um, like a really good, like he was a good guy and, you know, had um, good behavior and no one would ever think he's a, a rebel. But when he said yes to Jesus, it messed his whole life up. <laughs> he's like, it messed up everything. Like I was the popular kid in school and I had everything going for me. He's like, and then I said yes to Jesus and he ruined my life in the best way I could ever imagine. Like he he, he just, there's a transformation that takes place when we say, God, you're not just my savior to keep me from the pits of hell. But you are my Lord, that I obey you and I submit my will to yours. And so I, I want to talk a, 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 about transformation throughout this series. Because the walk that we have with the Lord on a daily basis will call us into deep transformation. And if we are unwilling, then we will have received the gift of, of salvation and not grow. And I, I find that to be um, heartbreaking, and and sometimes maybe even, uh, it, it just has not received the, the depth in order to flourish. And then I, I wonder, and, I, and my concern for, for some of us maybe in the room, is, is if we're not teachable, and if we're not humble, and we're not being transformed by the goodness and grace on a daily basis, not just in the transformative moment of salvation, that ongoing process. If we're not... In that, I I just hope that we would never be like the fig tree that Jesus sees and he curses, says, You didn't bear any fruit. And so, the call for us as believers is to grow, is to constantly be growing. And so, if you're a person like me who I get really settled in my routines, like I've got a really hardcore routine and my habits, and like I'm just a, a habit person. When that's changed, like, I really have to change my dynamic, and God's helped me grow in that. But if you're a person that resists change, God's going to call us to change. And so I just want to ask you, like, are you humble enough, are you teachable enough to grow? And are you hungry enough to say, yeah, God, I want that. I want that. And I believe that's what God's going to lead us into in this season. It's just a season. And it doesn't matter to me, like, whether you've been walking with the Lord for one month or for, uh, you know, 90 years, like it, it doesn't matter, like God is still teaching us, he still has lessons to teach us, and his goodness is infinite, and his grace is infinite, and his wisdom is infinite, and unless you think that you have that same infinite wisdom, then we still have miles and miles to go, and so just commit yourself to be teachable in this season, to be hungry for more of God. And so I want to dive in. We're going to dive into Acts chapter 1 here in just a minute. Today is actually a church holiday. You didn't know. You didn't wear, um, you know, like certain holiday shirts or anything today because you didn't know. Um, but today is uh, on the church calendar something known as Pentecost Sunday. So uh, in, in Judaism, there was three major holidays. There were several, but uh, there were several more. But there was three major ones. The first one was Passover. I'll talk about that in just a moment. There was Pentecost, um, which we actually, uh, the Jews reference as Shavat, and we'll talk more about that. And then there was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I want to describe each one of these in, in brief form or in longer form and tell you how Jesus fulfilled that. And really this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because the Holy Spirit will transform you in deep and profound ways and many times. Francis Chan called it "The Forgotten God." Many times like we fall in love with the Father and we we learn more about the character of God, and we fall in love with Jesus in His s- service to us and ministry to us, but we we forget the, the third person of the Triune God, which is the Holy spirit in the very beginning in genesis we see that the holy spirit was eternally existent and that god created the heavens and the earth and it was and before he did it was the spirit of god the ruach is the hebrew word i think he's got the hebrew and the greek words for spirit or holy spirit or holy ghost whatever translation you see it's the hebrew word ruach and it means the breath of god was hovering out over chaos and something that was formless. And in the New Testament, we use the Greek term pneuma. And it means the same thing. It means the breath of God. In fact, when, when Hebrews would pronounce the word ruach, they wouldn't really pronounce it. It was just a it was it was, like a, it was like a breath. Like a, a huff and a puff. Because they were not, all, it's, it's just, it's describing something that is un, indescribable. The very presence and the very breath of God breathed. Into the earth and hovering out over chaos. And you may feel you've got chaos in your life, but it is it is the Holy Spirit who helps us set things in order and who knows the depths of our heart. And so it just very simply means breath of God. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through us. And I just want to dialogue on this. Let's talk a little bit about Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, and then we will look at Pentecost since this is Pentecost Sunday and you probably have a certain expectation to what that means based off of kind of um, ideologies or denominations or different things but I'm, I'm just going to teach you the scriptures today and teach you the historical meaning and significance of this and, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to see this in a way that you've never seen it before so let's talk these are actually all Jewish holidays before they were Christian anything and um, the first one being Passover. Passover, again, celebrates God's passing over. and It's like a very easy passing over um, Israel and sparing their firstborn and sparing them um, death. And he, he told them, he said, Look, I want to spare you. I love you. And so I want you to sacrifice a lamb, your best lamb. And, and I want you to put blood on the doorposts and over the door. And then when... I come through, there's going to be a lot of death because I'm setting you free. Something's got to die in order for something to be set free. And he said, I'm going to pass over you. And so God spared them, and it became known as Passover. And they began to celebrate this with a great feast and a festival. And even today, Orthodox Jews will celebrate this, and they have for, for centuries that they'll, they'll kill a lamb, or in many times now, they'll just buy some lamb, and they'll, that, but the, the tradition was, what God asked was that that would be sacrificed at 9 a.m. in the morning, and then to be eaten at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Like, that's the, that's the tradition, Passover tradition, you eat lamb, it goes in the oven at 9, or it's sacrificed, and then put in the oven, and then at 3 p.m., um, we partake in the Lamb. And so when we look forward to how Jesus fulfilled this, Jesus, we talked about this a little bit last week, that God communicates in a way that we can understand it. In his infinite and, and eternal wisdom and strength and power that we cannot fathom, brownie points there, um, he, he communicates in a way that we can understand it, Jesus and Jesus, like many, th- we look from a Gentile perspective. We look from an American perspective when we look at that. But Jesus was Jewish, and he was a rabbi, and he was raised in all of the tradition of that, and he preached in a synagogue. And so we kind of got to get ourselves in a Jewish perspective to really understand the depth of what Jesus is doing when on Good Friday, as we call it, On Passover, the night before, they had a meal celebrating Passover. And if you read into the details of the text, your scriptures will tell you that at the third hour, the first nail went in. This is the Jewish um, um, uh, 9 a.m., excuse me, 6 being like ground zero or hour zero, and the third hour being 9 a.m., and so the first nail went in Jesus' hand the same time that the lamb would be sacrificed. And then at 3 p.m. that day, what your, your scriptures will tell you is in the ninth hour, which in Judaism, and Jewish time, was at 3 p.m., the same time that the lamb would be partook, Jesus breathed his last. And so when the nail went in his hand, it was the same time that the, that the lamb would be sacrificed. And when he breathed his last is the time that he became our portion his, the sacrifice was made, and so when we read about Passover in the Old Testament, we we think of we think of of this of of God passing over. But when we read it in the New Testament, I wanted to trigger my salvation because up until that time, the repentance for sins was a covering over the sins. But when Jesus was crucified, He was once and for all the apt perfect sacrifice, and no one else. None of us could be a worthy sacrifice. It had to be God incarnate to be the sacrifice because he was perfect and sinless and a spotless lamb. And his blood poured out in the same way that that lamb's blood would be poured out. It's very deep and beautiful. So when you hear Passover in the New Testament, we talk about it, I want you to connect my salvation, not just a covering over sins, but the removal of sins. And many of us, when we walk in the faith, the enemy will, will try to condemn you with sins of the past. And it's important that you understand that Jesus didn't just cover your sin. He, he wiped them away. He washed them away. He removed them. And so God doesn't see your filthiness. He sees the blood of Christ and the perfection of Christ. Okay? So that's Passover. And so uh, another one, I'm going I'm to skip over Pentecost, and we'll come right back to it, and we'll spend more time there, is the Feast of Tabernacles, which was fun. How many of you guys like camping? right? Anybody ever been to like a music festival where people camp out? I've never been to one of these. Uh, Yeah, Um, but it looks like fun. Like everybody camps out and goes to this music festival. And that's sort of what was going on here. Passover was a pilgrimage. All adult men would travel to Jerusalem. And the Feast of Tabernacles as well was a pilgrimage. And they'd go and they set up on the side of this mountain. They just set up kind of some shanty tents and some kind of like small houses or it might read tabernacles. But what it is, it's just like a little place to sleep and they'd go and they'd celebrate out there and and the beauty of that kind of as we look to Old Testament into the New Testament the beauty of that transition is that now God's presence lives with within us in earthen vessels and where the law was once written on flesh it's now written on our hearts and it goes with us and it also kind of denotes to us and um, displays to us that it's temporary like this is temporary this is very temporary and I think when we are longing for transformation and growth, I think we begin to fix our eyes away from the mortal into the eternal. We move our way, uh, eyes away from the temporary dwelling into the, the eternal and, and get focused on what God is doing in the spirit. And so that's the feast of tabernacles. won't spend a lot of time, but it's just the one with the tent on the mountain and really represents, um, I think, just the, the temporariness of our um, of our physical being, and so the third one is, is Pentecost. You can kind of think of these as like the Christmas, Easter, and Fourth of July of Judaism. Um, just that's we kind of connect well with those, and so these kind of three main ones. And Pentecost, like when I say that word, you have like an ideal of what that means immediately, whether it's uh, from personal experience um, with a Pentecostal church or whether it's from kind of hearsay of what you hear that's about like long hair, no makeup you know, super holiness and, you know, tongue talking and like, and you just kind of run to like just an an ideal and a characterization of what it is. But I want to talk to you from the scriptures about, about the person of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus was fulfilling and, and that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. So I just want to talk about that a little bit today. Um, I could do like a, a 6 or 8 or 12 week study on the Holy Spirit and really dive into this. Um, but I, I just want to kind of get this started today. It's Pentecost Sunday. When you actually hear the word, like for any kind of, if anyone's had like a scary mentality of what Pentecost is, it literally means in the Greek, in, in the Hebrew it means, uh, it was Shavat. In, in the Greek it's Pentecost. Pente meaning five, koste meaning multiple of ten, so it literally means fifty. So pretty scary stuff, right? 50 is what we're talking about. And so it's 50 days from Passover is when it happened. But let's kind of run back a little further and let's understand what the feast of Shavuot is or what the festival of Shavuot is. Because it celebrates, it was, it, first of all, it was a harvest festival. They went and they thanked God for the harvest they went out and celebrated. That was what it was initially, what, um, what Shabbat was about. And then when, um, at, at Exodus chapter 20, when 50 days after they are out of Egypt, keep up with the math here, the pente, remember that, we're going to talk about that, 50 days after they have um, been delivered from, from Israel, from that Passover, they will receive the Ten Commandments. Moses will go up to, onto Mount Sinai and he'll receive the Ten Commandments. And so it began to celebrate for them not just this season of harvest, but the, the gift of God in the law to keep them from idolatry and immorality. Have no other gods before me, and don't steal, don't kill. Like, you know, so idolatry and immorality. And so they began to celebrate that. And so now, even today, Jews will celebrate Shabbat by reading the law. They'll read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they'll just read them throughout the night. Um, Last night or tonight, I'm not sure which one. And I'll read it as just like a celebration, a remembrance of the giving of the law. And so for us, in the New Testament, I want to turn to Acts um, chapter um, 1, and we will talk about this. But I just want you to know that it was 50 days, and it was the receiving of the law. And then let's turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to bounce around a little bit into John chapter 14 and 16. Because Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit as the time comes for him to be crucified. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is a man of influence and wealth that uh, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, uh, wrote to this man to give him a detailed account. He was a very detailed person, and so he gave them this detailed account in hoping to tell him more about Jesus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The other 10 days are coming in just a second. Many times we think Jesus appeared to, like, the women, Mary and Martha, and he appeared to his friends, closest friends, disciples. Jesus appeared to thousands of people. Thousands of people Jesus appeared to. And he wasn't walking with them daily. He was just appearing before them and then giving them last But Here, we're going to find Jesus is actually eating with them. Okay, So there's a, a physical presence of Jesus, not just some mystic kind of experience. But um, he, he, was, he was alive. Uh, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just a second on that. A couple things I want to note is that Jesus says wait in Jerusalem. And wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think many times, like in some different traditions, like there is this thought that to receive the Holy Spirit and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to do this, 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 and this. And if you'll do this, this, and this, and this, then, then you can receive the gift. But there's a reason that God gives us gifts, like the gift of salvation. The reason it's a gift is so that no man can boast, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, so that no man can boast. that it, it, Like I did this, I performed my way for God, I was a good boy. But it's, it's a gift. And this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit is... For spirit-empowered um, mission, like to be empowered for the mission that God has called us to. And so when he, he says here um, that for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John uh, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is baptizo, which literally means immersion. Why we baptize um, in, into like fully immersing is because that's actually what the literal word baptism means. It means immersion. And so to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And everything we see in in the scriptures is that that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive um, a portion of the Holy Spirit in, in at, at salvation. Like and I, I actually believe that 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 there is the Spirit speaking to us, but I believe that illumination in our heart for, for guidance is at the moment of salvation. And what we see in the text that Jesus keeps saying when the advocate comes, when he comes, why would you have to wait for him if they had um, said yes to Jesus and received salvation after his death and his first presentation to them in that room? And so later, like there is this subsequent more of the Holy Spirit, not just dwelling inside, but immersing yourself in the Holy Spirit. And there's a, there's a, there's a difference and, and some of us that are walking around feeling very weak in our spiritual journey, I wonder if it's just because we haven't immersed ourselves and we haven't received the gift. Like the thing about a gift is you have to, you have to receive it. Like And it's as simple as, as that. Like that's the easiest thing in the world. But for some of us, because of pride, because of not being teachable, because of a lack of hunger and a desire for more of God, it will keep us from receiving the gift. I talked to this about some of our best leaders in the church, and they're just incredible servants of God. And I love doing ministry in life with them. Literally, but I have to tell them, I'm like, hey, you've got to be able to receive gifts. You've got to be able to receive help. I, I know you can do it, but that person wants to help you and you've got to let them in. So like that's like a constant leadership struggle, is, is to release people and let people serve you. And the same as with the Holy Spirit. We've got to receive, we've got to receive the gift. And so um, we'll come back, we'll come back to verse 6 here in just a second. But I want to talk, just uh, I want to jump over to John chapter 14. If you look all through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus promising the Holy Spirit and him talking about it as a gift and talking that it's, it's still to come. And like it's actually, Jesus says, it's actually good for me to leave. Like, I know you guys want me to hang around. It's actually good for me to leave, because if I leave, then I will send a comforter for you. I'll send an advocate. Look, let's look at John chapter 14, I believe, starting with this, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Not just Jesus, at the point of salvation, to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, um, the Numa of uh, Aletheia. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. He's here, but he's also going to be with you. He's going to continue. He promises it to come. That I'll send you another advocate. The Greek word here is, is the word parakletos, which really means Paraclete, which literally means Helper. Helper. Like, I don't know who you call. Like, usually we've got different people in our life. Like, when I need help with, like, my car, I'll call Marcus. i am be like, hey, man. Like, he's a master uh, uh, technician. I'll just say, hey, man, I've got this going on. What's going on? When I need help with construction or something around my house, I'll call my dad. Um, when I've got a church problem, I usually ch- call one of, the, the, one of my mentors that uh, has poured into me. And I'll reach out and be like, hey, man, I'm kind of dealing with this. What do you think? And we have to know that we, we want help and we need help. And for many of us, we're doing this supernatural thing of faith in following God and the mission of God in such a natural way. But God wants us to encounter him and experience him in the supernatural, that there's more and that you can't do what God's called you to do fully. You'll never reach your potential if you're just walking in the natural. You'll, you'll never reach your God-given potential if you're just walking in the physical nature of what you can accomplish on your own. And so Jesus says, like, hey, you, you're going to need an advocate. Like, I'm going to send this. It's good for, uh, that I leave so that I can send you a helper to come alongside you. But I've got I've to gotta be humble enough to know I need help. How many times have you struggled with a problem? Have you faced down insecurity? You faced it down And you're fighting through it. And you know you need help, but you are too prideful to ask. Come on. Can I just get a hand on that one? Because I'll be the first one up. I've been too prideful to ask, but I know I need help. The Holy Spirit is a helper. It's a helper. Like, who doesn't want a little help? Prideful people don't. (laughs) And so I want to be humble enough to say, Spirit, I need you in this moment. Like, I am weak and my mind is wandering and in this moment I need you. And he said, it's going to help you. He's going to be with you forever. So the first function of the Holy Spirit is to be our helper forever. You'll never be alone. You'll never be, If God calls you to a remote island where you are the only believer, you will not be alone. That, and that is such a comforting thought that I have gotten a glimpse of. But until I've just said yes to the gift. I can be just immersed in that feeling. Like I I um I hate when people breathe on my ear and give me the chill bumps. Um, is anybody else like me or am I just weird? Like I like she'll whisper in my ear or something. I'm like, get off me. Like I just I get like the heebie jeebies like when I get um my my um goosebumps. And as we were talking about the breath of God like there are moments, like in time, where I am, where I feel like I transition from just the natural into the supernatural, and where, like maybe I'm struggling even preaching to you now, and then like that happens, and I get annoyed when it happens in the natural, but when it happens in the supernatural, it's just like God, like being like, hey, "Hey, you're not doing this alone." Just a reminder, um, and I think we we see that, and in, in, I think we feel and experience the breath of God, it's literally like the breath of God, and maybe it's temperature and climate changes, maybe there's something with that, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to know that makes that happen, but I just believe it's the breath of God breathing on me in these moments and being like, are you, he- are you listening, like I'm here to help you, and that's just helped me so many times, and I rely on the Holy Spirit, even in prayer, Romans 8 tells us that the, even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit groans on our behalf. Romans 8, 26, he's an advocate, he's praying for us even when we're not praying. Like who doesn't want somebody to be praying for them even when they don't know what to pray? And so um, that's the first, the first part, of the function of the Holy Spirit is just to be our helper and to be with us forever. Rome, or, um, uh, John chapter 16 um, goes on to tell us, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. There is this beauty or not only are we not ever alone, but we don't discern on our own. In fact, many times when you come in, like if I'm having a rough day, like how many of y'all know, like I've had some rough preaching days. Some of you have been there for some of those. And if I'm not even communicating it well, I believe that the Holy Spirit can help you guide you into the truth that God has laid in my heart and where my physical natural has broken down. I believe that God's supernatural helps us to discern. We see this in the scriptures, like move over to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, and we see this incredible like tongues of fire and the the Spirit is filled in the room, and people from all these different countries that are speaking all these different languages know exactly what one another is saying. There is such deep spiritual unity in that place, because they were all there for one purpose. They were all there, hungry, awaiting. Jesus said, wait till that day. And so that spirit came in, um, or the spirit came in on that 10th day. He'll guide you into all truth. When you pray and you're trying to discern something, discerning is just trying to understand more clearly. Getting clarity is how we might. And so when we talk about discernment, or some even have a gift of discernment, and I think women lean towards having better discernment, fellas. And so if you're having a question, sometimes we go to our guy friends, and sometimes we need to go to our wives and be like, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think? I, I think it's an innate thing that God has given them. And in the marriage relationship, there is like God works in that because we're to be helpers for one another, and so when we let God into our marriage then there's this helper, the Holy Spirit helping us help one another and it's this beautiful, beautiful thing, he'll guide you into all truth, so when you pray, when you discern a sermon, God lead me into the truth God help me understand and chew up the meat and spit out the bones help me to discern as I'm reading the word, God am I just going off of feelings here am I missing this and so he guides us Into all truth, we never discern alone who's better fashioned and set up to guide us into truth than the one that is truth. Jesus said it was good that he goes. And then lastly, let's go back to Acts chapter 8, Arab 1, excuse me, and then let's let's finish reading that section out. And the third part that I want to share with you is right there, beginning at verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Just get a picture for a second of what's going on. Jesus has been resurrected. Um, Caiaphas and um, Herod, they've been made a fool of at this time. Now he's all out there and they are hunting him down. Like, where is he? He's disappeared. And there's like a little bit of political chaos and they're looking for the disciples. And so Jesus is telling them to stay in Jerusalem a little bit longer. And that's, like, the last thing they want to do. Because they're like, actually, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like, I need to get out in the woods somewhere, out in the wilderness, out in the desert, so that they don't find me and kill me. Because that's what was going on politically for those disciples. And Jesus, and so they're like, hey, is it time? Like, are you going to set up your throne now? Like, they're still trying to understand that. And Jesus goes on, verse um, seven, He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that the Holy Spirit brings power in our life, strength. When we're weak, he's strong. You're going to have moments of weakness and it is only pride that will tell you that you won't you will have moments of weakness physically emotionally spiritually the holy spirit's praying on your behalf and god is saying i I want you to have power for this And and it breaks my heart how many christians are so weak like i don't mean that in an offensive way i mean that in like a missed opportunity way because we're saying, I don't need the gift. say, no, I've got this. I can do this in the natural, or we're comfortable in that. And we're not teachable. And sometimes it's, it's tough to know if we're being humble, right? If you, if you answer yes to the humility question, yeah, I'm humble. Like, you feel like you're being arrogant. And, but maybe a better way to ask it, am I being teachable? Am I, am I available? Am I, am I keeping myself available to what God wants to do in this time? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. I want you to see this, that Jesus had sent them to this room on the 50th day on Pentecost, on Shabbat. He sent them here to wait for that day because he wanted it to be clear. You cannot do the mission of God. You cannot be my witnesses if you are not filled and if you are not clothed. In my power. If you are not immersed in my spirit, you're going to need it. You cannot do what I've called you to do in your own natural strength. You can't do it on your own. And so we, we've, and right after that, we can read, um, oh, that is, that's verse 8. Do I have verse 9? And he said this, and he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him um, before their sight. That's it. And he's gone. And he says, Wait, wait until the 50th day. And so they wait. You turn over to chapter 2 and you see this incredible move of God. And on that day, they had power, they were walking, they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. Like, I, I don't talk a lot about, like, the word revival, but, like, that sounds like something. Like, something crazy is happening. Like, 3,000 people came to say yes to Jesus, and I know many times in this life, like, we're looking around, and we're seeing Christians persecuted in other parts of the world, and even here, like, we're having a very mild version of that than what's happened in other parts, um, but do you realize that in the past, like, 20 years, there's been more people I think 20, maybe since it's the 1970s or something, there's been more people say yes to Jesus in that past like 20, 30, 40 years. I forget what the exact statistic, forgive me. But in like the past like generation, there's been more people that have said yes to Jesus in this time than the 2,000 years leading up to it. Like that's, that's like hard to wrap our brains around with because we live in an America that's very indifferent towards the church, that's very prideful in our own strength, in our own natural ability, and we're very comfortable. And so if I'm calling you to anything today, I'm calling you to be humble and to be teachable and to be hungry and saying, God, I just, I so want your power. God, I need you to guide me in the truth, and I, I need you, Holy Spirit, to be present in my life. I need you. I can't do it without you. I don't want to do anything on my own. And I just pray that God would, would just strike that chord within our heart of hunger and desire. And I can't give you that. I can't give you that. I've prayed many times, and I tell you, and I challenge you constantly, pray honest prayers. I've looked in the mirror many times and said, God, I just don't care. If you need me to care, I need you to help me care. Because I don't care. And I find too much just in the American church that we're just so indifferent. Yeah, what? seen it all, but I'm telling you, there is something in the faith that you, you've not seen. God's going to take you beyond where you are now, and, and that's what I love about God, is he saw me as an, an angry like young man at like 15 years old, so prideful, like nobody could tell me anything getting kicked out of school, like, getting suspended, like, fighting my brother and kids in the neighborhood. Like, I'd punch this kid and then have, like, 20 kids chase me in the neighborhood. Like, I was just, like, starting stuff. And, like, I just had all kinds of rage. And I went through, like, bouts of, like, suicide and depression. And, um, and God saw me where he was at, and he loved me right in that moment. But he loved me too much to leave me there. And he said, look, I love you enough, and I want to take you further than what you've ever been before and so I just want you to kind of draw an imaginary line maybe in your head of where you're at spiritually and know that God loves you right where you're at but he is calling you beyond that like he, he called Peter out to come out onto the water and say hey, just just step out just step out in this moment I'm going to invite you to prayer this team is going to to lead us in a song just about the Holy Spirit and saying you're welcome here And we can talk about that in this space and like that's so important but the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in a a very tangible way when we welcome them here. Like where two or three are gathered in my name not just gathered in the name of religion or gathered out of routine but gathered in my name and and where we're saying God we just need you. So I just want you to stand across this room. I know you didn't expect to learn a lot about Jewish tradition and festivals and that stuff today, but I pray that you got way more than that out of this teaching, and my prayer today is just that we would obey and step beyond this line, and if you feel comfortable, I just love, if you're just in a place where, like, God, I just, I want more of you, and I don't just want to taste. I want to be immersed, God. Like I was baptized in that water at the point of, you know, as a declaration of my faith in you is I was immersed in that. I just want to be immersed in your Holy Spirit and your presence, God. If you'll do that, will you just kind of like extend your hands out in some way of just like I'm receiving a gift. Like I'm just I'm just taking God whatever you have for me. I want it. Like if if our earthly fathers knew how to give good gifts, like how much more will our heavenly Father give us this gift. And if you're in this place and like, you just gotta be honest and like, man, I've just been prideful and I've been trying to do this on my own and do it in the natural. I just wanna challenge you to just let God just break that down. The law is no longer written on those tablets. It's written on hearts. And there's no longer tents on the side of a building, but these earthen vessels that are so temporary are filled with your spirit. Your Holy Spirit rests on us, God, and it's not so that we can be like, look what we're doing, look at this great church, but God, it's so that we can be witnesses for you. God, because there's a 15-year-old kid out there that wants to kill himself like I did. God, we don't understand it, God, but help us to just move beyond the natural and just to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today not of our own works, not of our own ambitions, but for your glory. That's why we're here today, God. We just say.